Remember my credo, Timmy. Don't be a fool. Stay in school. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Today on the podcast, we continue our conversation on the row. Pastor Ben and Youth Director Tim Thompson joined me today in having a conversation about the creed, what they are, why we recite them, and the importance they have to our lives as Christians. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes. That helps us get the word out and proclaim the gospel to more people. Thanks for listening. Let's get growing. I'm sitting here in my office with Pastor Ben and Tim, our youth director, and we are continuing in our conversation on the row, and we have, up to this point, um, walked through our Sunday morning and Saturday evening worship experiences, and we, we've drawn out the common elements of, of all three of those services that we have here at New Life, and we've said, these are the common denominators, this is the common denominator between all three of our services and we highlighted a few of those things, and we've just been walking through those elements that are the same in all of our services. Last week, we talked about the sermon, why we preach, why we proclaim, why we teach the Word of God in the public setting. And the next thing that happens in our worship service is the creed. And so we are going to talk about the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. I think primarily we'll talk about the Apostles' Creed because that's the one that we do the most, um, and it's the one that'll be most familiar to people in our congregation. Um, so, Ben, why don't you just break down for us what the Apostles' Creed is, and we'll go from there. I think before we get to that, I think just the simple idea of w- what a creed is. I mean, a creed is simply a tightly held belief system, and so I would say that everyone has a creed, just some people haven't necessarily formalized it. And so, in the church. In its origin, it was a mostly oral tradition, and so they had a creed they developed, which is a statement of belief to codify what they believed. And so we're going to talk about two today, but just to kind of give you really caught up, the Apostles' Creed, most people would say it found its origins in the Apostles, but it really wasn't formalized until the probably the second, third, or fourth century, the way that we understand it now. But But most people would say... It finds its origins in the teaching of the apostles, at the very least, possibly finding its origin completely in the apostles. So it's a statement of belief for the church, what uh, believers should hold dear and near to their heart. It should help them understand their belief system, uh, battle against false belief systems, and it also should be driving force in their life. And so the, the Nicene Creed came into play about the the fourth century and the council of Nicaea. And really that came down to, it was, it's a longer version of the apostles creed that really gets into and hammers home this idea of who is Jesus, which is the ultimate question that all of us need to answer. 
which is who is Jesus? Was he a teacher? Was he actually God in flesh? What's his relationship with God? But really interpersonally, we need to know who Jesus is because that is the the crux of our relationship with God, is that Jesus is God in the flesh. And that's what the Nicene Creed does a really good job of doing, is knocking that down, nailing that down. And really from that point in time on, even though there's people that still debate it uh, at that council, it really basically said, if you're outside of these boundaries, uh, then you have some severe problems with your theology. And so there's still people that battle against that. There always will be people that battle against it because it's hard to understand, uh, but that's really the beauty of, of Christ in flesh, God in flesh, is that it is hard to understand, but we serve an infant God who can do whatever he wants, cares for us so much that he decided to live among us. And so that's a lot of that conversation in the Nicene Creed. But just simply stated, creeds are a belief system. So we start off the Apostles' Creed with I believe, Nicene Creed with we believe, the collective we believe, and that's what it is. This is what we believe as Orthodox Christians, as true believers in Christ. We believe these things, so we repeat them weekly, so we can internalize them, remember them, battle against false teaching, and uh, really have it internalized, so we always have an answer for the faith that has been passed down from generation to generation. Um, easily memorable, I think, is another thing that's important, especially the Apostles' Creed. It's, it, they're almost poetic in nature, um, which is for memorization purposes. And I just, uh, you mentioned, Ben, a couple uh, possible dates. So I have the dates here. Um, in 390, in a letter, there was the term Apostles' Creed found. And in that letter, the the author credited the Apostles' Creed to the Apostles. Um, so we know that at least from the 4th century, um, there was, a, at least um, by, by the 4th century, there was an understanding that this creed was old, ancient, went all the way back to the Apostles. We don't know if the Apostles actually wrote it. I'm guessing um, there was some sort of seed that was developed in the early church in the Apostles' lifetime. Um, and we do have some evidence that there were kind of early statements of faith, shorter statements of faith, um, that eventually became the Apostles' Creed probably in those first 150, 200 years of the church. We're probably talking is when that kind of got ironed out. Um, the first writing of the formalized form that we have now is from 690. So that doesn't mean it didn't exist. It just means we don't have a letter you know, or something stating the Apostles' Creed we're, we know that it's much older than that. So probably from the time of the apostles, from the time of the early church, these statements were being passed around, even if they weren't in a finalized form. Then, I mean, probably within that first couple hundred years, they were finalized. By the time 390 comes around, people were already talking about this as if it were a set thing and actually accrediting it to the apostles. So uh, we do know that the Apostles' Creed is very old. Um, the Nicene Creed is from the Council of Nicaea. From the Council of Nicaea in 325, and the the Nicene Creed is so the Nicene Creed is, is newer than the Apostles' Creed, um, but was finalized maybe earlier than the Apostles' Creed was finalized. Um, but the Nicene Creed is much longer. And then there's a third creed that we won't talk about, um, but we do recognize in the Lutheran Church called the Athanasian Creed, which is much 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 longer, um, more 
even more Trinitarian. Um, and it's not very easily memorable because it's so long. Um, but those are kind of the three creeds. And mostly here at New Life, we utilize the, the Apostles' Creed primarily. And then the Nicene Creed we use, uh, well, right now our pattern is um, every other week we do it in our first service when we take communion. That is our pattern now. So I want to I want to know for you guys, for you two, again, all three of us did not grow up in in high church liturgical mainline backgrounds. Um, I don't even ever remember learning the Apostles' Creed until I went to college. So I had never, I mean, I'd heard of it, um, maybe even heard it before, but I don't remember ever learning it or being familiar with it until college. So I just want to know your backgrounds. When did you uh, first hear about the creeds? When did you first begin to learn them? When do they become part of your regular kind of worship experience? Yeah, so I first heard about the Apostles' Creed uh, when I was a freshman in high school and started going to a youth group at a United Methodist Church. Um, And it wasn't until I actually went to one of the services there where I first heard the Apostles' Creed. And I believe they did it once a month. They would do the Nicene Creed. Um, And... My first instinct was, well, why doesn't everyone do this? Because obviously this is good, uh, because this is something that, as Christians, we can look back to, and there's no doubt about what we believe when we recite these creeds. Uh, And so I was, uh, so initially I was kind of off-put by it, because I didn't realize why they did it, because they didn't do a very good job of explaining why they did it they just kind of hopped into it and so uh but as i have continued to grow and to learn why we do it and the importance of doing it um it's really grown on me and it's grown and it's shown me exactly what i believe in and what and what you should believe as a christian i would say my first uh, heavy-handed engagement with it came as i had kind of a crisis of faith, but really not a crisis of faith, really a crisis of theology is growing up in a certain sphere of Christian thinking and then trying to go back as far as I could to the early church, because I think every church kind of has this kind of concept that if we could just get back to the origin, that's going to be the the purest statements of faith, the purest thought processes and stuff like that. And so when I was going through this historical journey, I was getting back to early, 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 early church writings. And even though I'd been around church that had done the Apostles' Creed, this is the first time I had really, really engaged with it besides just a thing that was happening around me or I was reciting, didn't think much of it. You know, once you realize the the authenticity and the ancientness of it, you kind of begin to see, okay, well, if this is what this says, then these things are based off truth in Scripture this is the collective belief that these people had, uh, then if I'm going to depart from this or my thought process has departed from this, then I need to really use it as a a checks and balance for my own theology. And so there's a number of, you know, statements along the way that I've run into, but the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed was really helpful for me to say, as I read this, if my thought process that I've been taught or internalized or whatever that might be, varies from this, I really need to have enough humility to question myself. That maybe I don't know everything because if this group of Christians, not far removed from Christ, if they're reciting this or at least something very, very similar to this, 
and they're passing this on, then obviously it has some value and it has some pure theology in it. And, and so for me, that was really my major interaction with it was it was a great tool for me to check my theology, use it as a proof text to say, okay, if I'm disagreeing with this, I need to go back to scripture. I need to check these things to see what I really should believe. And so it's been really helpful in that regard in my spiritual journey. And obviously now I use it, I still use it in that way, but now I really use it as a great thing to internalize, hold on to, and to check false teaching, but also you can use it as a tool to explain your faith. And I think that's really significant. As my kids grow up, I want them to have that in their back pocket. So when someone says, what do you believe? They can literally say, I believe, and just keep going through the entire creed. And it's about a minute long. They can recite that, and then the person could say, okay, what does this mean? And they could hopefully, sooner than later, articulate every one of the beliefs connected to those truths. Yeah, I like it uh, for the same reason that I think both of you mentioned. Um, one is is just the biblical basis of it, that for the most part, the Apostles' Creed is almost exactly snippets from Scripture pasted together. Like it's almost exactly these kind of one or two line statements from Scripture put together. But also the I like the the universality of it, that we know that despite whatever denominational differences, whatever practical differences there are between churches, that if a church can say um, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or the Athanasian Creed and agree with it and mean it, then we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Like that is what unites us, is our common confession that Jesus is Lord, that he is incarnate, that he did die for us and he's risen again, um, which is what all three creeds are about. They're all, they all centralize um, or all center on the person of Jesus. That's the biggest bulk of each of those creeds is the person of Jesus. Um, so I like that universality of it, that we can come together and we know that no matter what else we believe about how Holy Communion works, how even how um, Scripture operates in the life of the person, we can all say, we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We can go all the way through the creed and we can agree on this. Um, I think there are implications to that that then we can tease out. But I, it would almost be all the differences within the Christian church, it would almost be better if we all could just start there with the creed and then try to work out the implications together. Um, and talk about how scripture is reflected in that, how it reflects scripture, how Jesus talked about scripture, how, and then we can kind of let all the other issues kind of fall from this. But it's a nice, compact, concise, this is what we believe. And if we can go from there, if we believe this about Jesus, when he says this, that means that we need to, you know, X, Y, and Z and follow the implications from there. So I like kind of the universality of it. So let's talk a little bit about, um, what is what is in the creed? Probably we'll go through piece by piece, but we're not going to go in depth with each article of the creed. Um, but we can just kind of walk through the Apostles' Creed, talk very briefly about some of the implications, why we say why we why we say that we believe that. There are other podcasts podcasts that are Lutheran that have done detailed, you know, long, long, long. Um, series on the Apostles' Creed. So there's lots of resources to listen to the Creed. That's not what we're going to do here, but just real briefly, let's walk through each article of the Creed, talk about what it means um, in a couple of sentences, and then um, we'll move on about why we have the Creed placed where it is. So let's start with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. What does that mean to the Christian? 
So last semester uh, in confirmation, we we spoke about and learned about the Apostles' Creed, uh, and it was really good because it broke down each section of the Apostles' Creed. And um, this first part, the I believe in God the Father, the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. So that means that we believe in a creator God, uh, not just a God who um, is just kind of there and uh, doesn't have much to do with our lives, but that he created heaven, earth, and us. And so when we when we say that, that means that we have to take it at face value and we have to believe that he did create this. And uh, a lot of times, especially with young people, um, because our school system has taught us evolution and it's taught us um, just, and it really doesn't, our school system really doesn't teach on creation. Um, and so a lot of our young people are then confused when they hear this because they hear because they then ask, well, what about evolution? And what about the, this theory that, uh, the, the world is, you know, 4.3 billion years old. Where does that all come in if God created the universe? And so that's something that as Christians, we, we have to wrestle with, we have to think through, um, pray about and study about, because it's not something that, um, that's just, I think that's one of the hardest things for us to believe is that God did create the entire universe. Yeah. And it's easy to, even if, you know, no, no matter where you fall on that issue, the, the problem is that when we think about it in the secular sense, um, there's no, it, it removes the designer completely. Um, so even if you believe that God created the world using, you know, natural processes, he had his hand in it, took billions of years to do it. Um, there's still a designer. There's still an intention behind it. But the problem with kind of the more secular way of looking at it is that it removes any sort of designer, any sort of mind that gave intention and purpose to the world and intention and purpose to you. Um, and so that's kind of a dark, those are some dark implications. If, if we really are meaningless, if we really are, um, if there's no, if we really just, dis, you know, when we die, we just are gone. Our consciousness is gone. We have no connection with anything beyond us. Um, that's a pretty depressing thought. Um, and so you follow that implication. That's, um, and especially for young people who are looking for identity and looking for hope and looking for purpose. Um, that's a pretty dark place to go um, where there's absolutely no mind behind, no intention behind um, the creator. Um, so good. Well, thanks, Tim. That's that first one. We believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth. The next section is all about Jesus. And Pastor Ben, I want to have you uh, talk about this one. The next section is, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's the whole section on Jesus. Give us a, a few sentences about why why we repeat that, why that's important. So obviously, that's very, very long. Uh, and there's a couple things. One thing I'll, I'll touch on later, but really, we see Jesus asking this question when he walked around. And I think this is the like I kind of alluded to before, this is the premier question that every person that is alive has to answer is who do you say that I am? This is a question that he asked his disciples. And I would assume he probably asked a lot more people. 
because who do you say that I am is the difference between faith and no faith. If you think Jesus is just a great teacher, then that's a totally different ballgame. That's not Christianity. Christianity resides on the fact that Jesus was God in flesh, that he lived the perfect life, that he went before Pontius Pilate, that he went to his death on the cross to be the perfect sacrifice, and then he rose again. I mean, that is Christianity in a nutshell, is who do you say that I am? And if you say that about Christ, and if you believe that about Christ, we are told all throughout Scripture that if we have faith, if we have belief, if we do not reject Christ's pursuit of us, then we have eternal life. And so this is massively, massively important. In fact, to the point that if you can say the creed and say that you believe it, I mean, this is a, a salvation issue. This is a salvific issue that if you can do it and say it and be honest, that you actually can have security that you will get to experience the resurrection like Christ experienced the resurrection, to be restored and reunited in perfect relationship. Now, one quick thing I want to touch on is we say this interesting thing during this segment. We say, he descended, and the way Pastor Eric just read it was, descended to the dead. Sometimes in church, not sometimes in our church, we say descended into hell. Uh, The probably best iteration, it's just not a word we really use, is descended into Hades, which is the place of the dead. And basically what we're trying to get across there is not that Jesus literally went to capital H hell. Like he started hanging out with how we visualize it in the cartoonish sense. Like Satan was there with pitchfork jabbing Jesus and he had to fight this war to escape. I mean, that's that's all cartoonish and that's not real. And if you heard a teacher teach that, that's not that's bad theology. I mean, that's totally made up. That's for cartoons and comic books. But what we're saying is that Jesus died, just like we died. He descended into the place of the dead. He descended into Hades, or in this this context, we say hell, which is that's what it's implying, is that Jesus actually died, that it wasn't like he passed out, that he came back to. I mean, we believe that he actually died, and that's the power of the resurrection, not that he fainted, not that through something that happened in the tomb where all of a sudden his blood clotted and he was better and he just took three days to get better and all of a sudden he appeared and shoved a rock away somehow. I mean, we're trying to say to you and be very, very clear that it was game over for Jesus, that he actually was the sacrifice like all the other sacrifices point to, which required a death, required blood, not just the shedding of blood, but the death of the animal. Jesus died and then he reappeared. Uh, but the way we say it, because of the way English has evolved and, and changes over time, I would say most people, this is where they run into the hang-up, which is, what does this mean? Because it, it, it seems to imply that he went to capital H hell, a location, hung out with Satan, fought some sort of mystical battle there to escape fanciful stories. But that's not the reality. What we're saying is he experienced death, and then he came back. All right. Thank you. Pastor Ben, appreciate it. And then the last uh, section of the Apostles' Creed is, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And this section is uh, all focused on the Holy Spirit and his work. Um, So the Holy Spirit is the one that uh, in Pentecost has filled the people of God, filled uh, the 120 in the upper room. 
and actually created the church. That was the birth of the church. So the Holy Spirit filled the believers. Then they were uh, they left the room. They were empowered to proclaim um, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he, uh, which was is the last section, um, that he's God's only Son. Um, that he was born of the Virgin Mary. That he was crucified, died, and was buried. That he rose again. He ascended to heaven. And is at the right hand of the Father. That he's coming back and he'll judge the living and the dead. So there's this. Um, that was the gospel proclamation that they preached right after they were born. So we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, um, which the church's work is to be the people of God, to be Jesus' people who are under Jesus and in Jesus. Um, the communion of saints, that's the uh, the same, same idea that we are all um, in Jesus. The forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. That uh, through the Holy Spirit, we can be forgiven, we are forgiven, in that um, we will um, be resurrected at the end of all things, and that we will have life eternal with God by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the creed. Um, I know that was real quick. Um, so there are several other Lutheran podcasts that take episodes and episodes to talk through the creeds. You can check those out. I know for sure that um, being Lutheran podcast goes through it. Uh, ben, do you know of any other ones off the top of your head? Ever? It's been a long time since I've li- listened to them. So, um. so there are several others. Um, look those up. Um, there are lots of other good uh, podcasts out there um, that deal with this kind of stuff. So you, you can listen there. Um, so we're not trying. We weren't trying to give a detailed, but just kind of walk through that creed. Um, okay, so let's move on to where it's placed in the service. Do we our, our services have a little bit of a difference here? Where in Saturday and, no, just in the first service, we do the creed right after the sermon and right after the hymn. Then we say the creed. In our Saturday, in our second service, and maybe Pastor Ben, you can correct me if I don't get this right. But we pray after the sermon and then we do the creed. But in both, in all instances and historically, the creed has come after the sermon. Um, So... Pastor Ben, I'll just kick it over to you to kind of get us started along this line of thinking. Why does the creed come after the sermon the way that it does? Yeah, there's really two times when we, I guess, shuffle the creed or the placement of the creed, but it's true that it's always after the sermon. And the reason it's after the sermon is because after I give the sermon or Pastor Eric does or whomever is the communicator that week, after we have taken God's truth and God's word and, and shared it and tried to apply it to people's life and help them move forward, be transformed in their spiritual journey, then the creed comes after and is kind of a checks and balances of that. So in the front end, we read the scripture, which of course is true. Then we do our best to the power of the Holy Spirit to interpret it, bring the history into it, and then apply it. And then the creed comes back as the other bookend of the scripture and basically, we can take that and, and recite, whether it's the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, and everyone in that room should be able to, in that instant, say, okay, something in that sermon didn't align with this or didn't align with that creed. And so it's a, a checks and balances thing. And the other placement that we put the creed is during the during Holy Baptism. And so we'll do the sermon, and then the baptism typically falls right after the sermon, so once again, the creed is still after it. Um, however, we will go up there, and how we do the baptismal is a little bit more free-flowing. 
we don't necessarily follow the LBW in, in all of its respects in this regard, but we have kind of the typical commitments of the parents and sponsors and congregation. And then what happens is we recite the Apostles' Creed together, which is the core of our faith. This is what we should believe. And then the first question I ask the parents is, is this the faith that you want to baptize your kid into? Meaning that when we do this, this is the orthodox view of Christianity. This is what I expect you to commit to, to raise this kid in. If they come here, this is what they're going to learn. And this is what the implications of this. If you're connecting them to Christ, this is what Christ taught. This is what his disciples taught. And this is what the church has historically taught. And so is this the faith? Or is there some other version of Christianity or some other thought process that you've had throughout time that you think you're actually giving them over to? And so that's the question I ask. And they say, yes, because we've worked with them already. So it's not a shocking answer. Uh, but there is a space for them to say, no, now that we've read the creed, recited the creed, that's not quite what we think about Jesus. That's not quite what we think about the Holy Spirit or God. And, and so we're not comfortable with that. I mean, they could do it. They're not probably going to, but that's what that intent is. Is, is this the faith? They say yes, and then we baptize their child into that faith. And they're connected to a God who loves them. They're connected to Christ's sacrifice. They're connected to the work of the Holy Spirit. And they're connected to all the commitments that the parents have made, sponsors have made, churches have made. And of course, the staff is integrated into all of that. That will raise this, this young person or old person, depending on the age, in this faith. And so if it's an older person, we read the creed and I would say, is this the faith that you want to be baptized into? And once again, they'll say yes, and we will baptize them into that faith. And so it's it's always a way of clarifying what the faith is. And so we use it after the sermon to verify it. We use it before a baptism to also verify that this is the faith they want to connect to. And I think over time, we talked about this before, but it becomes almost an apologetics tool for people to know exactly what they believe. They can take this checks and balance system to the TV you know, Christian radio show they're watching or the radio broadcast or podcast, or even as they go to college and maybe they don't go to a Lutheran university, they go to something that's used to be Lutheran or, or something more secular or something that maybe is Baptist in nature, and they can test and, and check all these things against that. So they actually have a tool to say, I believe this and this and this and this. You said this, that doesn't sound right. And hopefully it drives them back to scripture because there's the reality is there's some churches who don't do this anymore. And what that stems from is this thought process that now that we have scripture in written form, like we do now because of the printing press and because of the internet and all the things that we have now, that now that we have this, that that's good enough. But the truth is you're not going to work through 66 books, or if you have some other books in there, you're not going to work through 66 plus books to work through or, or codify what you believe. And so this pithy little statement is incredibly helpful. And that's the point is to take something short and sweet, put it all together, get all the core thoughts and beliefs from scripture. So you have a tool that you can hold on to. And, and that's the beauty of it. So if you go to a church that doesn't have this, I think you're missing out. Obviously it's not evil. I think it's just not wise because you have this large section of scripture that you're saying, hey, we expect you to know 66 plus books, potentially, and uh, so we're just not going to use this little pithy statement. The statement is to help us 
safeguard ourselves. And of course, we still have the Bible. It's not to replace the Bible. I mean, that's that's just silliness. So it's a, it's a great tool. I hope if you haven't used it yet, you begin to use it, begin to memorize it. And if you go to Lutheran Church, it should be popping up there every week. And by default, you will memorize it. So it's a great, great tool of the faith. Yeah, I like um, like what you said, Pastor Ben. And just to kind of add a little, little bit to that statement, I like how the scripture right before the sermon and the creed after the sermon kind of provide these two in my head. It's like two, um, two edges of a cliff, and then you're on a swing or a bungee cord connected to those two things. And so the, the scripture and the creed are two objective truths that the pastor then has to work within those two things, those two walls, in order to preach their sermon. So it's almost like the the pastor is always, um, and, and the way that we do it, is surrounded by the by orthodoxy. That there's this objective, the scripture, God's word, the way that he intended it to be um, said and read, and then uh, the creed, which is the church's common understanding of God, and the pastor then, as they preach their sermon, that sermon has to be connected to both of those things. The ser- the pastor just can't go off on their own and preach whatever they think about X, Y, and Z. They have to be within those two walls. Almost another way that I could think about it is uh, G.K. Chesterton uh, has a quote where he says, doctrine and discipline are walls, but they're walls to a playground. The scriptures and the creed provide the walls, and then the sermon is this kind of exploration of all the implications of the scripture and of also what we believe about the creed. Um, so then the pastor, as they're preaching, it's kind of like being in that playground and um, and exploring that on its own. But I like that there's kind of these two objective, unmoving, the word of God, plainly spoken, and then the creed, that the pastor has to be respectful of both of those things. As they're uh, preaching or as they're teaching, they can't deviate from those two things. So it kind of provides us with some sort of um, objectivity in a world that just rejects objectivity altogether. Um, and there's obviously lots of space to explore and to tease out implications um, within those two things because they, you know, the creed is very broad in its in its statements. Um, but I like that it's just like you can't escape it. You can't escape the creed. You can't escape what the church believes about Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and you can't escape. God's word in the scripture. And so you take those things and as you are hearing the sermon or preaching the sermon, it is within the walls of those two things to kind of protect and hedge around um, the truth of God. And it provides us the space then to explore life with God. Mm-hmm.